Tonight, we're going to look at Psalm 136. Uh, This week is Thanksgiving week, and so I wanted to take some time tonight for us to meditate on some things of the Lord in this regard and how we should be living lives of, of thanks to our God. And so we're going to look tonight at this entire psalm, uh, Psalm 136. But before we do, um, let me give you a little bit of background. Because the background and the setting of this psalm are very appropriate for us as we enter the week of Thanksgiving. It's a psalm exalting and praising God. And it, it calls on the reader to give thanks to God for his wondrous acts. And if you look back over the history of mankind... God truly has performed great deeds for mankind, and specifically, the writer of this psalm exalts the things that God has done, not only in the world, but but also specifically in the nation of Israel. And the motivation and cause of these things, that that, that why God does these things for us, for his people, for, for for the special people Israel, for mankind, is repeated over and over and over and over again in the psalm. Every verse contains the same statement because of the enduring mercy of God. It says, for his mercy endures forever. And that word you have translated here, if you have a New King James Bible, you have that word, his mercy endures forever. Sometimes you'll see that word translated as his steadfast love or his faithfulness or sometimes his loyal love. And, and with so many various translations of that word, there's a message that becomes clear. And maybe you picked up on it. The message is this. It's really hard to express what this verse is trying to say or what this phrase is trying to say in, in words. Uh, because we have used different words to describe it. And, and the difficulty in this statement, for his mercy endures forever arises because of what it is. You see, what the psalmist is expressing when he says his mercy endures forever, he isn't expressing an emotion that somebody feels towards another person. He isn't uh, um, expressing some feeling, but, but instead he's expressing directly a part of who God is. So here's a little Hebrew lesson for you tonight. When the psalmist talks about his mercy that endures forever, that word that you have translated mercy in, that, in the, the Bible before you, is the Hebrew word hesed, okay? H-E-S-E-D, hesed. And that word is, is that word that's very hard to, to share or very hard to translate or to express in our words um, because it, it is an essential part of God's character and it's seen all throughout the Old Testament. And what we see is, is that God's loyal love for his creation results in actions that he takes time and again towards that creation. It's a love that never fails. It's a love that shows mercy to fallen men. It's a love that characterizes our great God. And therefore, we cannot always encapsulate it in a word, but we can see its expressions in a psalm like this. The things that we have recorded before us are proofs of God's said towards his own. Now, what's interesting is we don't know who wrote this psalm. But the refrain, his mercy endures forever, appears in several, several different places in recorded Old Testament events. Two of those I'd point out to you. Uh, one, at the dedication of Solomon's temple, 
Um, and then, again, when Judah was attacked by Moab and Ammon, that's in Second Chronicles chapter 20, you see that rephrase used again. The psalm, Psalm 136, is often called the great halal. And the great halal, the word halal means praise, so the great praise. And the review, as you go through Psalm 136, you find out that the psalmist is just reviewing history, both of mankind and of Israel in particular. And, and that's an important thing. When we give praise to God, when we worship and thank him, we should use our history to praise God. Why? Because one author said it this way. What the author is doing here is turning history into theology and theology into worship. Understand that the history that you have in your life, the history you have with God, the history of God and what he's done for mankind informs our theology and that in turn informs our worship of God. Um, We are surrounded by that which informs our theology every day. And like Israel, we would do well to reflect on God's goodness of the past in order to inform our trust and praise in the present and the future. So the layout of this psalm with the oft-repeated phrase, for his mercy endures forever, leads us to believe that this is an antiphonal psalm. That is this, it was recited responsively in worship. So maybe with a priest, uh, some other leader, a choir, or a group that would recite one part And the people or a second group would respond with the refrain. So here's what I want to do. Tonight, I want to open our time with reading this psalm in this way. So would you stand with me tonight as we read Psalm 136? And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the phrases, and you read the refrain. And his mercy endures, for his mercy endures forever. We'll do that starting in Psalm 136, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. To him who made great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn. And brought out Israel from among them. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And slew famous kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage. 
a heritage to Israel, his servant, who remembered us in our lowly state and rescued us from our enemies, who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Lord, indeed, your mercy does endure forever, and as we even have said these things tonight, help us to remember and to meditate on them as we go through them. Help us to remember that no matter how many times we say something over and over like that about your mercy enduring forever, it does not even touch who you are, for you are eternal. Lord, we ask tonight as we look at the things that have been recorded here under inspiration by the psalmist, that you would challenge our hearts to a thankful spirit and to one that gives you the praise and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we read through that psalm... I hope you begin to see the picture and the pattern emerging about all the things that God does. Why? Because his mercy endures forever. And what this psalm teaches us is that the unfailing, loyal love of God, extending us endless mercy, rouses us to ceaseless praise. God is eternal. His love is eternal. It is unfailing. His mercies are new every morning, as, as, as Jeremiah would say. And so those endless mercies invoke in us a response, a response of praising God. And I know you read for 26 verses the same phrase over and over again. I can hear it as you go. Okay, we've read this phrase before, all right? But our lives should continue to praise God on and on and on and offer him the glory for what he has done for us. But as we break apart this psalm tonight, uh, we're going to see a couple different, uh, a few different sections here. And in the first one, it's in verses 1 through 3, the psalmist opens with a call to praise. And specifically, he calls on us first to praise God's nature. He says, give thanks to the Lord for he is Good And of course, in that phrase, for his mercy endures forever. And he's going to repeat this call at the, at the end, and we'll look there. But the first and last call for, of, the, of, the, of the psalmist is for our thanks to be given to God. You know, thankfulness is something that should characterize the lives of godly people. We all hopefully know what it means to be thankful. And if you struggle with that, if you struggle with, well, I don't know how to be thankful, then I would encourage you to think about a time in your life or, or an encounter in your life where you've run into someone who was an unthankful person, an ungrateful person. You ever had an experience with someone like that? And it's a struggle, right? It's a hard thing. Ingratitude can be a very nasty thing. And so many of us in life have learned, sometimes by observing what is wrong, what it means to be thankful and how to show thankfulness. And we show thankfulness to people like our parents or our friends, those who support us and and more. So how then can we be any less thankful to our God? And and throughout the psalm, the psalmist, of course, will show us things that God has done. And that's one reason we should be thankful. But the primary reason that we should be thankful to God isn't because of what he has done. The primary reason that you and I should be thankful to God and offer him praise is because of who he is. That should motivate our thanks and our praise to God. We see that God does do a lot of things for us. 
But the psalmist reminds us first and foremost that, that it is because of who God is. He says in verse 1, he, that, that give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. This is, again, a foundational attribute of God. That in everything and in every action, God is always and only good. As Charles Spurgeon said, God's goodness is a fountain. It is never dry. God has been good in times past and up into the present. And over and over again in our lives, we can observe the goodness of God. And think of it this way. The same God who was good to people like Noah, Joseph, David, Nehemiah, Peter, Paul, and others throughout the scripture, and we have recorded instances where God's goodness shone in their lives, that is the same good God you and I serve today. That goodness does not run out, and it does not cease to extend from one generation to the next. And whether men acknowledge it or not, God's goodness never fails, and God's goodness never ceases. And as we said in the opener, this goodness is expressed in his enduring hesed. God's mercy, his loyal love, his faithfulness, his compassion continue to pour forth on humanity. I just want you to imagine for just a minute, God, without his goodness, he would cease to be God. You cannot take any of these attributes away from God and him still be God. Give thanks to God simply for who he is. And he is indeed not simple, but is superior. And that's the other thing that this psalmist writes here. That we should praise God's superiority. He says things like give thanks to the God of gods and give thanks to the Lord of lords. God is the only God. And he is superior to man's feeble attempts at creating deities. Now, these verses where it says uh, to the God of gods and the Lord of lords, this is not confirming that there are other deities that God is, is greater than. Instead, they're highlighting the uniqueness of God alone. Now, has man fabricated gods throughout human history? Well, absolutely. But these gods that man has fabricated, every single one of them has limitations and flaws. Those false gods that men have made are nothing but poor reflections of what man thinks deity would be. They are full of sin, and they fall short of true godly glory. But the one true God shines, outshines them all time and time and time again. He is so far removed from such feeble attempts. That's what the psalmist is saying here, that God is so superior to these, these, these horrible creations that we would fabricate to stand in his place. Yet, God is so far removed from those things as the superior God, but at the same time, he is close to his creation. One of the things that's, that makes God God is this, that his superiority does not make him aloof, uncaring, disinterested, uninvolved, or unapproachable. Again, I think that that is a, um, a part of what man's fabrication of a false God is. Well, you know, you can't approach this deity. I, I, I thought of, I was thinking about this this week, I thought of that passage in, in Kings where Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal. Do you remember that, that story? And, and what, do you remember what all those prophets of Baal did to try to get the attention of Baal? 
They, they walked around the altar screaming and crying and cutting themselves. And, and Elijah saying, well, maybe he's gone on a trip and he can't hear you, right? It, it, why? Because to them, they had to do all of these things to get their God's attention. What did Elijah need to do to get God's attention? Simply pray and trust. The Bible tells us, draw near to God and he will what? Stand as far away from you as possible? Draw near to you. If you come with a heart of humility and a longing to be close to God, you will be close to God. If you come ready to give, give up your sin and embrace him, you will be close to God. That's a promise. And in fact, the psalmist continues in giving us causes for praise and what these things do that he, he calls on people to praise God for, they highlight God's relationship that he has with us, his creation. We see the causes for praise first is the creation itself. He talks here, and these are in verses 4 through 22, but he talks about the great wonders that he does, about how he made the heavens, and he laid out the earth above the waters, and and all of these different things that he has done. And, And throughout this section, there are several wondrous areas where the loyal love of God is displayed in the world that we live in. These are tangible expressions of God's character that he does great wonders for us. First, we see the wonders of God's creation. Creation is the great display of the wisdom of God. He made the whole of space with nothing but a word and hung it on nothing. Can you imagine, you know, if we wanted to make the planets go around the sun, we'd have to fabricate, right, some sort of track and motor system, you know, and does this and does that. Are there any metal tracks in space? There's not, right? Because God, in his wisdom, set it up that way. He's the only one that can do that. They follow these paths because of God's established orders, all of these celestial bodies and planets. He defined their size, their rotations, their interactions, and their limits. And he holds them together as they continue on those courses that he has set them on. And just as God defined the heavens, the psalmist goes on to say he'd also defined the boundaries of the earth. That he called forth the dry land in creation. God has given us a place to live He's given us what we need to survive. He designed the boundaries of these things here on this planet that we call earth. And you know, it shouldn't be any surprise to us that God defined such local limitations about where the oceans and the bodies of water should be if he defined where the planets and the stars are to be as well. He also then, the psalmist says, created great lights that rule our times and seasons. The sun and the moon and the stars give us light and warmth they play their roles in creation in our world. And it's, ob- it's, it's so um, easy for us to look at the stars and the sun and the moon and talk about what they do for us here on this earth. Because we are the pinnacle of God's creation, right, as mankind. And, and obviously that's who they were created for. But realize this, that just here on this planet isn't the only place that we benefit from God's creation. There are are countless other bodies, celestial bodies, that that also experience the light of those stars. There are some here in our own solar system that experience the light of our sun and the different things that we observe. We're just observing this tiny little fraction in this place that we call home. 
the creation gives us reason to praise our God. It exalts the wisdom of God. It highlights his care for us. It speaks of his praise. And so we can echo the praises that we see in creation. But then secondly, the psalmist says that another cause for praise to God is his acts of deliverance. The wonders of God's acts of deliverance give us cause for praise and thanksgiving. Now, specifically, the psalmist here speaks of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. God predicted, promised, and established a nation through the redemption, uh, through which the redemption of mankind would come. He did this beginning with his promise to Abraham. And he told Abraham that from him would come a great nation through which all nations of the earth would be blessed, the promise of the Messiah. He then displayed his magnanimous character through his dealings with that nation time and again. If you have ever read the history of the nation of Israel as recorded in the scriptures, you begin to understand exactly how much God cares for his people. Because how many of you have ever read the book of Numbers? Let's take Numbers specifically. And said, if I were God, that would be it. Right? I'm not being sacrilegious, okay? Just be honest, right? How many of you, that would have been, eh, you know, it's been a good run, right? Okay, now I challenge you to back up to a guy named Jacob and read his life. And what he did. And how much he denied, and, or how much he uh, walked away from God in his own life. But because of God's grace, he continued to act in the lives of his people over and over again. Israel was in bondage to the nation of Egypt. Now, God had predicted this to Abraham, but he also predicted his coming judgment on that nation, which held them captive. God is not weak, and he proved his strength to his people and others around them time and again. His mighty power delivered a captive people. His limitless might opened a pathway through the Red Sea that was both deliverance for his people and devastation for the nation of Egypt. One author said it this way, By the time Israel crossed the Red Sea, the land of Egypt, its firstborn sons, its religion, and its army had been destroyed by the power of God. No wonder, 40 years later, When the people came to the land of Canaan, they were still talking about what God had done in the nation of Egypt. God did miraculous things for his people. And he is the only one who can do these things. And that calls for our praise and thanksgiving. Not only looking in the lives of of Israel and the history we have recorded here in the scriptures, but also in our own lives, that if we would step back when we would take time to reflect on our lives, both our past and our present, we would see God's sovereign, providential hand at work in our lives today. How many times have you thought in your life, hey, there is no way? And you know what? With man, oftentimes there is no way. But with God, there is always a way. If it is his will, He will bring it to pass. Let us then thank God for the mighty work in the past that we may seek his help for what is troubling us in the present. If you struggle with trusting God with your present circumstances, look no further than to what God has done in your life up to this point. 
that's what helps you to trust God where you are today. And then the psalmist says, praise God not only for his creation and his deliverance, but also his care. The psalmist continues on talking about how he led his people through the wilderness and struck down great kings and gave his people a possession of land forever. God's wonders are are shown in how he cared for his people as they left Egypt and continued to the promised land of Canaan. He cared for his people in the wilderness. He gave them the food that they needed to survive with the manna that fell from heaven and the quail. He gave them water to drink. He guided them with his presence with the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And even in judgment for sin, God did not condemn his people, but instead fought for them. As the nation of Israel wandered through the wilderness for 40 years because of their sin, they came up against men such as are listed here, Sihon and Og. And their demise was brought about by the almighty God. He cared for his people' welfare, his people's welfare, and he gifted them the land of these kings as an inheritance. And it's just as God cared for those people who, who were sinful, who wouldn't believe him, who wouldn't trust him, God cares for you today. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done or haven't done, God cares for you. He is. He will never cease to watch over his own. He is the giver of all gifts. He is the blesser of all his people. And for this, thanksgiving and praise should be given. And because of this, he is worthy of our trust. And we move rather quickly through this psalm tonight, but let's tie it up here with this. Not only is there a call to praise, that we should praise God's nature and superiority and see these causes for praise, the creation, the deliverance, and his care. But then lastly tonight, we see the concluding praise offered by the psalmist in verses 23 through 26. That he remembered our lowly state, he rescued us from our enemies, he gives food to all flesh, he'll give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. We see God's work on man's behalf. All of these things drive us to the concluding thoughts of the psalmist that God has worked on behalf of man. He has intervened in Israel's history time after time. From the exodus to the exile, he would do mighty wonders time and again for his people. He does not forget his own, but he remembers them. And being remembered by our God and dwelling in his thoughts is a wonderful thing. Again, Charles Spurgeon recorded this, that we may dwell in man's thoughts and not be the better for it. But we cannot be in God's remembering thoughts, but we shall be the better for it. Man can think a lot of things about you or say a lot of things about you when they bring your, when they bring your, your, your name or your reputation up. They can say negative things. They can tear down your character. They can think the worst of you, but it's never so with God. When God remembers us, we are always the better for it. Because God always wants and does the best for his own. And that applies not only in the good things that we enjoy in life, but even in judgment. Even in judgment, God and his purposes for his people are right and good. And when God judged his people as he promised he would judge their sin, he never left his people in judgment forever. He would turn and rescue them from their enemies as they returned to him. 
And God still rescues us, his people, from enemies we face today. First of all, God rescues us from sin. Through Christ's atoning blood, God has set us free. He rescues us from Satan. The power of Christ's finished work has burst our chains. He rescues us from this present evil world, giving us power to live for him and the Holy Spirit. See, God knows the state of man, and he's worked on our behalf. Have you ever felt that it's a struggle to live for God? Have you ever felt it's a struggle to, to, to please him, to follow him? God knows that, and he cares for you. And he's worked on your behalf. Very practically, the psalmist is thankful here in verse 25, who gives food to all flesh. The animals enjoy the blessing of God's provision as seen throughout Scripture. That that picture is used time and again. So here's the question that's asked. How much more will God care for you? When you enjoy the blessing of practical things such as good food, and some of us are going to be enjoying that this week, give thanks to God. And as the psalmist concludes this, that's what he tells us, that this is man's duty to God. This wording in the last verse will give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. With a wording that echoes the beginning of the psalm, we are turned once again to our duty to our God. We are to offer him our thanks. What the psalmist says here, and what, what, we, what we need to walk away with is this, that, that this is the normal, reasonable expectation of mankind, that we would praise God. Our lives should be declarations of thankfulness to him. What should we do? Well, we should not, let us not forget the blessings that God has bestowed on us. Let us, let those things color our lives and our prayers. Have you ever found yourself, as you pray to God, like you're listing out some grocery list, you know, to, to, to your spouse who went to the store, right? God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need you to work in this, I need you to work in that, I need you to work. Instead, why don't we take some time and focus some praise in our prayers and give God the adoration and the worship that he is due. It's not wrong, certainly, to bring our knees to God. It's what he wants us to do. He wants us to depend on him. But we would do well to color our prayers with much praise. Then let the praises of God pour out of our mouths as we talk to other people. Does the things that God does for you, do the things that God does for you naturally come out when you're talking to other people? Do you share them with others, whether they be Christians or not? Say, hey, this is what God did. This is what God taught me. This is what God... I told you on Tuesday night, you're going to have an opportunity to do that, to share with other people, hey, this is what God has done for me. Let's go beyond that. May the praises of who God is and what he's done not only come out of your mouth, but may they grace the pages of the digital world in which you and I live. When you pick up the phone to text somebody else, use those things to praise and glorify God. When you go on social media to post the things about the world that's just on fire and it's never going to get better, instead, use it to praise and glorify God. Exalt Him. Glorify Him. 
Because God is worthy of praise and thanks. His mercy endures forever. Through all trials, in the face of our sin, and it ushers us into eternity with him through Jesus Christ. So let us give thanks to God because the unfailing, loyal love of God, extending his endless mercy, rouses us to ceaseless praise. So this week, our country and, and around our world, there we, will be take, we will take time, and our country and our world will take time to remind us, hey, it's Thanksgiving, give thanks. At the same time, if you haven't seen it already, you will be reminded of all the things that you don't have because you will be given the incredible opportunity to fill your life with these things at the lowest prices ever. It is not wrong to enjoy the blessings of God in your life, but let us keep the proper perspective. For the Christian, Thanksgiving isn't a day, a week, a month, or a season of the year. Thanksgiving is a way of life. Giving thanks to God keeps our perspective before God proper and right. He is the giver of all gifts, our greatest hope, and our dearest friend. He is our creator, redeemer, and king who cares intimately for his creation and has given us so many bountiful blessings. The eternal loyal love of God is shown time and again throughout the course of human and redemptive history. All we need to do is look to the word of God for the proper perspective on how merciful our God is to us. God loves to give. So let us make the commitment to live lives of praise and thankfulness to God. And understand this, that that an improper view of God and an improper view of thankfulness to him will lead us down a path of hardship in life. When we fail To step back and see the goodness of God, we live lives of ungratefulness and further sin. But a victorious, vibrant walk with God begins with an ever-grateful, joyful heart. And so as, as you go into that time this week, I would just encourage you, don't just make it about this week. Make it about your life's mission to give praise to God, to exalt Him. There's a lot of things in life that can, that can discourage us, that can get us down, that can uh, call our attention. So that's why we have to keep looking up and give him the honor and glory that he is due.